2: You're listening to Footy Prime, the podcast with Danny Dickio, Craig Forrest, and James Sharman. Today,
0: we welcome Paul Pesco
2: and Dan Wong on the ones and twos, and me, Jeff Cole. Let's get this party started. You know what I love about that intro more than anything, aside from the fact that there wasn't music, but was the fact that Jeff, who is a, a professional voice man, right? that's his crap that's his Choice. He's got these great pipes, but how he shitting himself before trying to pronounce Pesca Salido. It was brilliant. So I, I think he did a pretty good job. <laughs> you didn't nail it necessarily, Jeff, but it was pretty good. So we'll, we'll give that to you, man. Um, it's no border patrol, but uh, it, it, it's it's pretty good. Welcome Bye. to Footy Prime. And yes, indeed, we will be joined very shortly by Canadian legend and former roommate of Craig Forrest, Paul Peskis leader. That'll be coming up real short. Looking forward to that. Uh, but boys, welcome back. Football is getting ever closer. Um, obviously, we know we have Germany. We know we have the Korean League, but now in the corner, MLS around the corner, CPL around the corner. So, I thought we'd start today's show um, looking forward, but also look a little bit. I want to test Deech and Craker a little bit on the Premier League and what transpired so far a real basic questions we'll probably um become a bit more involved in these questions as we get closer to the june 17th date right but i've kind of forgotten everything about what's going on in the premier league apart from the fact that that team in red's going to win it so let me ask you to start you currently currently in england what is the top four?
0: Oh, that's a good one
2: uh i think liverpool's winning I think yep, yep, you got that.
0: I think they got a few points on uh, on Man City. Chelsea is there. I'm going to say no. no, no, no. They're
2: in there. They're in there. Yeah. Why would well, the order well. have taking his head for? <laughs> so you got you got Liverpool City. You have yeah. Chelsea. But where, where is Chelsea Fielder for? Who is joining them? For yeah, who stood?
0: I can't remember. <laughs>
2: It's been, it's been three months
0: Leicester
3: Leicester
0: Leicester yeah the shitty place in East Midlands Leicester I saw Kessie Kessie did that to, you know loser <laughs>
2: <laughs> you wouldn't be, be right. right though that, that's pretty good though yeah Liverpool Leicester it's, been, City, uh, Leicester it's amazing isn't it how you just like goes the, the information yeah. goes who's this bottom go. three Peach? bottom three
1: easy come on you gonna give me a, a, a I, I
2: I forgot two of these teams. He he's googling it right now. Yeah, no, yes, totally. Here. Fulham
1: and uh, Swindon.
2: Yes. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> My concern is what was he typing with when his hands
0: are up there? He was like <laughs> all clubs that Dickio played for. <laughs> <laughs> do you we'll remember these?
2: <laughs> do you know do you know in the bottom three? Uh
1: yes. Okay, Do you want me so. to tell you?
2: No, of course not.
1: <laughs> um, Brighton? Nope. nope.
2: Brighton? No, they're not close. Close. It's a, it's a coast. A coastal what? town. Let's get them down. Let's get. Let's get. Um, no, Watford's playing better now. Where? Where? Bournemouth. Yep. Bournemouth
1: at eighteen. There's someone that's like and they're down already. I can't remember what it. Right at the bottom.
2: Norwich. 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 Yeah. And, and Villa's Villa's uh, in second.
1: Villa's close with Brian. Second
2: last. Yeah. yeah. So, Bournemouth, Villa and Norwich. Okay, let's make it easier. Who, who's in scoring right now? 9-0. <laughs> 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 what player is leading Premier League? Yeah, yeah. Not, not. In scoring? Yeah. Uh... This is a really sad state of affairs, boys. Jesus. Isn't it? In weeks? Months? Months? Hard?
0: Well, actually, it's been over a year, really.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems that way. She's <laughs> done anything on TV. <laughs> yeah, that's true. do you, you say someone there? Did you... It's not Bobby, is it? But yeah, he's okay. got 19 goals. It's two two up on Abamian. Right. Yeah. Uh, Sutter's down 16. Guess he's fourth? give me a clue is he a striker he like he's a striker a... striker 15 goals um, he, he's best in clubs and has been injury ravaged in recent years mm. but a great season he doesn't play with a big club either does he, he no no him? he did though he did he did <laughs> I know <loved> it. <laughs> I can't even he's tattered up, both both sleeves full. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard, isn't it? It's as if football didn't even start this year. Play freaking thirty games or something. Well, I was expecting him to cancel
0: the season for God's yeah. sake.
2: <laughs> Danny Ings. Danny Ings. Oh, Danny Ings, that's right. Yeah. Fifteen goals. Fifteen England. goals. England call up here, yeah, yeah, that's
0: right. Those guys are about the season continues. All those stats and stuff like that, I guess, just be wiped out. You know, where strikers are like, hey, Danny, the other guy, it's all about goals.
2: That's <laughs> it. Very.
1: It's all it. about themselves. You know?
2: Yeah. But even some of the, the names, some of the managerial names, you know, you don't forget about them necessarily. But like Moyes at West Ham seems, you know, really fresh. Nigel Pearson at Watford, you know, remember that that move? Mm-hmm. mid season. Obviously, Arteta at Arsenal. It's just... we've been so removed from it for so long and now we're kind of building up again potentially for the restart. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, it's just really right now, you know, when you're you're looking ahead to football for the first time in in some time. It is. I think part of that obviously is, and us not knowing much about
0: this, is the fact that we've had a serious pandemic going on around us that has obviously uh, taken away from any entertainment like football. But it's nice to see that it's... uh, Got potential to come back, and let's hope that the uh, disease stays away enough and uh, continue somewhat
2: normally in the, in the world of sports. Yes, are, are you gonna take advantage of the option of having the crowd noise, the fake crowd noise, when you watch the first games? Um, you can obviously in England right now, I know, and in Germany you can make that you want to have the canned. It's like canned laughter in comedy, right? Do you want to can fans noise or will you go with a natural? What do you think? I don't know. I'm gonna to listen to them both. Give it a try.
0: I'm not it's very odd though, because <laughs> I mean you watch the German league, it it, it is like a practice match in, a, in an empty stadium. It's like, all right, lemon aside, here we go, let's have a practice. It it just it the fans add so much to the actual experience and uh do their best without it, but and they have to. But it, it's—I certainly miss it. The atmosphere is is massively important.
2: It is, and you know, from what I'm hearing and what I've seen myself, people are saying that the, the crowd noise actually does really add something, even though it's fake and it's done really well. Mm. I still don't think I'll use it. I'll definitely, like I said, give it a try. But it's it's like you know some cheesy 80s sitcom you know with the fake laughter, it doesn't work. It's you know you you don't need it. But I'm really curious as to how it's going to work in England.
0: How about Jamie? You'll yeah, I mean, yeah. be watching the first game of Liverpool when they score. You'll be cranking that volume up. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah, jumping around the room. Oh, there'll be someone screaming. That'll be, that'll be for sure. yeah,
1: yeah. There was actually. Uh, um, uh, a podcast this week that uh, I was kind of listening to, and he was—he actually gave a pretty funny example. He said it's kind of when you were younger and you were sneakily watching a porno movie in your bed or on your laptop, you had to turn the volume all the way down because your parents or someone was in next room. He said that's the important. In an empty stadium or with no cheer or no 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 sound, he said it's impossible to. <laughs> You're comparing <laughs> that to <more>? <laughs> <laughs> It's a good analogy of uh, playing with football, and shout in the stadium. But I don't know. I, I didn't see the back on.
0: I don't <laughs> care, I don't care about audio. No, quite honestly.
2: No, no. I guess you. And you. You won't go blind watching football. So. That as well. I suppose it's a positive thing.
1: Why? <laughs> <laughs> What's
0: that? Is that why we all wear glasses? That's no, but that's, that's why we've all gone bald. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> Too much
2: power on the computer. Jesus. Oh, my God. Oh my God. This pandemic is killing my hair. Yes. <laughs> and my broadband. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of porn, let's bring on our next guest, shall we? Paul Piscis, Hey, Welcome to Funny Prime. It's your first time on the show, I think, isn't it? Amazingly. I don't know how it it's possible, yeah, but it but I don't welcome. Know what I've got myself into. Thank you. What have I got you into <laughs> How's uh, how's COVID treating you? It's been great.
3: Yeah, really, uh, lots of fun. <laughs>
2: let me ask it's, you: are, are you are you a supporter of football commitment? or are you more like, "Damn, um, let to just start again next season"?
3: I'll be honest. I'm I'm caught in two minds. Obviously, I'm delighted that it's back on. I want to watch something on TV. That, you know, i have gone through every box set going and. We all love watching football, so it, it's great it's back on. But at the same time, you know this is, this is this is a serious issue we've got going on, and uh, safety is probably more important. So I'm just kind of I'm caught caught between a little bit.
2: Now, now will you be using the fake crowd noise? Though I'm sure, regardless of that, you, you'll watch the games. Will you have the, the crowd noise on
3: or off? Yeah, I was thinking about that. i would speak to a fan. He's watched without it and with it. Not watched a couple of the German games without it. Like God, I said, it's awful. Really, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't get into it. There's no, football's, a, it's entertainment. If you don't, he, it's, it's like watching a reserve game. So I'll try it. I'll try it and see what it's like. But if it's like what you said, if it's like watching an old sitcom with the old voice in a box, and uh, it'll put me off Put me off it altogether. But we'll uh, give it a go. Hey, Pesci, uh, what is your,
0: speaking in German, Bundesliga football, what is your impression about our fellow Canadian, Alfonso Davies? and he's doing at uh, Bayern Munich
3: that's oh, unbelievable it's nice to see it's nice to see actually I made contact with him about probably seven eight months prior to him going to Germany because uh, there was rumors that West Ham were interested and I was told by West Ham to give him a ring and see what uh, what his situation was and at the time they were started, I think they were saying something like 20 million and I spoke to David Sullivan, he said to me you know a Canadian kid in Canada, get him for five or six million and Twenty million quid. I was just like, "You gotta be kidding me!" And I think he even said to the agent, "I said, you, you, you're, you're mad. You got no chance." The next thing he turned up. He's turned up there, and David's running. Oh my God, what's a player he is? He looks sensational. Honestly, an absolute gazelle up and down the the, uh, the flank there. And it's great for Canadian football. It's nice to see, and hopefully, we'll have a few more to follow. But um, he really does look sensational.
0: You know, it's amazing, isn't it, Patch? When like just the fact that he's in conversations about. Uh, best player left back in the world. I just that he's in that conversation so quickly from moving yes. over to Germany it is astonishing and amazing story, uh, the whole thing. Have a Canadian at the top has uh, been great. The timing's been good too because you got always to the English. You know, the English fans that don't watch a lot of international football, they're very, you know, Premier League, centric, if you like, got exposed to Champions League for the when he was playing against Chelsea. Uh, that was terrific for exposure. And then the League is the first one to come back. You have no other choice. You're watching him week in, week out. So it's been great for him to be seen. And uh, it's not long. He'll be the most recognized Canadian sportsman in the world, if he isn't already.
3: Absolutely. And, you know, I've watched a few video clips of him and him speaking. And he's still got that really nice Canadian feel about, him, you know, very apologetic and uh, self-deprecating. He just, he seems like a real normal kid. And I hope that he's, he remains that way because uh, he's got a huge future ahead. And like you said, sometimes it's, it's good to be lucky as well. And he's been lucky as well. Um, but what's a player? He, he looks a hell of a talent.
0: Yeah. And, and also, Pesci, you know, I i have always concerned who's handling these guys too. Um, it's important that they have good handlers, uh, people that are actually really looking out for the best interests of that particular player. Um, as we know, uh, you, well, I know you're an agent for, for managers. It's uh, it's important to build a trust with them. It's important to be loyal and and clearly just looking for them mostly. So I hope that's the case with Alfonso. This is a situation for him as a young lad that's, you know, It's great when things are going really well, but we know the TikTok, the social media, the negativity will eventually hit him. And uh, how he deals with it will be very, very interesting and and not
3: easy. No, I think I think Germany is a different kettle of fish altogether. Germany, they do. They're protected more. I don't think they're uh, into the limelight uh, as much as, as the Premier League. If he ever does turn up in the Premier League, then that's when I think he has to be wary because, uh, you know, the, it's very difficult in, London, in England, as you guys know. But in Germany, a good breeding ground. And I think the German players as well, they tend to be, a, I might be speaking out of term they be a little bit more professional in, in their way they go about the game, yeah. They behave themselves a little bit better off the pitch. So hopefully um, he stays there for a little bit longer, really learns um, how to behave himself on and off the pitch and then, who knows? Who knows? But, um, you know, I, I think, like you said, his name is at the forefront of a lot of clubs at the minute, right across the world. So uh, watch the space.
1: Guys, you could actually be talking about the first Canadian to pick up the Champions League this year with the way Bayern Munich are playing. I think that would be a little icing on the cake there because I think the way the Bayern-
0: win it already. Did he win it? Well, yeah, he was <laughs> not going to put him as
2: Canadian. <laughs> uh, that's a cheap shot there to most But But yeah, yes, yeah. Owen Hargreaves is a Canadian. Free Lions, but he's so And he did win it. <laughs> but, you know, do you think there's a concern, though, that Fonzi won't get the appreciation in Canada that he deserves? Uh, I know, you know, football's getting its place, we're earning its place in, in Canada more and more. But there's still, you know, the mainstream media still are, are very scared of what's new and football is still considered new. You know, we've seen how T. student has never got the respect that he deserves mm-hmm. in this in this country. It's extremely mm-hmm. frustrating. Lou Marsh awards, you know, I- ignoring him, not even in the conversation. Is there sort a of concern, though, that Canada being Canada still is this kid who's, who's going to be a world-class footballer? Um, yeah, I think that's going to be
3: the case. I, I, it's a shame. And I think the, the Canadian Soccer Association has are at fault with it because they should be throwing him into the limelight. They should be discussing him like Michael Jordan territory, you know. This kid is sensational. He's playing in one of the best leagues in Europe. He's, he's the standout player in this, this team week in, week out. He could go on to be one of the best players that Canada well, – he looks like he's the best player Canada's ever produced but, uh, playing in an international stage. Why are they not using that? Whether it's his agent, whether it's the Canadian Socialization – he should. This kid should be on commercials. He should be all over the place because he's a good kid, too. a really good kid, he's really humble. Just what um, young kids should look up to. And why not use him to improve the the game of football in Canada? Why not? I, I agree. It.
0: I agree with you, Paul. And I think where, where the CSA, uh, Canadian Soccer Association, is at the moment. Um, looking back, even only a few years ago, when Sportsnet, PSN. In these games on terrestrial television giving them that at least that exposure from that angle but they have to realize that they're in competition against the national Basketball association the nhl uh, football baseball because all those sports are pumping and their pr machines um look what happened in canada with the raptors uh, kids exposure to basketball it was amazing so now we're not on mainstream terrestrial TV anymore. It's up to the CSA to basically do what you're saying and expose them, build these players up. Because I've even talked about it. They Bayern Munich from a social media magnitude, the size of this club that he's at, Bayern Munich have more social media followers than all the Canadian NHL teams combined. And we think our oh, hockey's big here. It's not even close. It's massive. And you're right. We need to do a better job at association because you're in competition if you don't if, you know, with the rest of the league. You know, competition for the entertainment
3: dollars is not easy in Canada. No. Yeah. But surely their job is to promote football. And how bet, What a better way to promote young kids playing than to have one of your own who's playing playing for the one of the best team in Germany. Lifting up trees week in week out. Why are they not utilizing that? I don't understand mm-hmm. that. Now's a perfect opportunity for them to get kids involved in football because this is where you can be. This is what you have to do. And there's they're aggressive. The train. Get
2: aggressive. It takes one phone call. One phone call to a broadcaster, a podcast, whatever, and say, "Listen, hey guys, you know we've got some media availabilities here. You know, do you want this guy? Be it Fonzie, be it Jonathan David, whoever it is, get aggressive. Get these names yeah. out there. Don't." sit your ass and wait for these, these companies come to you because quite frankly they won't very few of them will because they still don't understand football so that's yeah. what frustrates me that I get this 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 feeling the that they're sitting there waiting for people to come to them no no come to media give us a call give other podcasts a call call TSM they don't know sports, what they're doing. call sports call design
3: I'm sorry guys they just don't know what they're doing they really don't they don't know what they're doing that's why Canadian Soccer and the National Team that's why it's been a shambles for as many years because people running it don't have a clue this is an opportunity, huge opportunity. Get him involved, get him signed up with a huge sponsor of some sort. Get him he should be a household name in Canada. Without a shadow of a doubt, he should be a household name. But they're missing the trick. They don't know what they're doing. They really don't. They don't want to promote football. They don't want to promote anything. And I have this same argument all the time in the bad books with them, but I don't mm-hmm. care. You know, it needs to change. Change we are gonna be a third world nation in, in Europe in, in world football forever.
2: Yeah, Percy. I mean, you, you obviously moved over to England a long time ago. Uh, you know, that's that's your your family's from there. Um, but w- was there a point in your career where you know what? I'm not coming home anymore. This is now where I'm going to be. I'm now I'm now English essentially. You know, my daughter's English, my wife's English. This is now it, and I'm going to be um, you know more of a, a, a voice, perhaps, to get more motivations from people in Canada to talk about football.
3: Uh, well, I re- yeah, I guess when you when you get married, an English girl, who's, uh, you know, the career she's mapped out for herself here. I knew halfway through um, being in this country that I wouldn't be heading back. And like you said, you have two kids, English English uh, kids. Where am I going to go? I love <laughs> Canada. I'm proud to be a Canadian. I'm watching this Canadian Cardinal show on TV, and every time I'm watching, <laughs> I'm seeing the backdrop of snow, and that it makes me want to be back home, but. But um, England's my home now. I love it, and um, yeah, I, I can't see me ever coming back for good. I think this this is it. I'm gonna stay here, and uh, I'm happy.
0: Pesci, what is uh, it like being uh, married to Karen?
3: Yeah, it's rubbish.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe she still likes you.
3: <laughs> or she does she? That's what I'm saying. Now, you, listen. She, yeah. She tells me she does anyway. Now, we're, um, you know, it, uh, how do you explain it? How do you explain it? You know, you don't even think about the achievements and all that because she's just my wife at the end of the day and the mother of my kids. She's my mate. We're friends. You know, we've um, built out a great life for ourselves and our kids, which is great. And um, her career has just gone on incredible. Incredible. She's great. a part uh, of her and yeah, you. Absolutely. What she's but achieved. You know, when she came into the game at 23, 24, to be a woman, first of all, in a man's game. And back then, it was very, very uh, male-oriented. In fact, completely male-oriented. Not only the fact that she was 23, she lied; she was 24 to make her sound a little bit more reputable. Um, and she, she paved her way. And now, you know, she's the main, main person people talk about in the game. She's um, influential. She's obviously running West Ham. Um, she's a, a baroness, so she's involved in the government. She's what well, she's achieved is endless, but you know it's hard wrath It's hard wrath and dedication. She why isn't she, Why isn't she Baroness Pesca solito You um,
0: <laughs> exactly.
3: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> is it is this a
3: little bit of a class going on in England? Yeah. Maybe. Or? Yeah, that's snobby. You no, know. you you take your maiden name, whatever it is, you go back to your maiden name, which just becomes Brady Baroness Brady. Can you be Baron? be. always she always talks about yeah, she always talks about equal rights for women and I've had a I've had a go thing hang on a minute. When a man's a sir, the wife becomes
2: a uh, Dame lady, or lady becomes, is it?
3: Yeah? Lady. And uh, what do I get? <laughs> so that's the first thing you need to go and discuss right now, Liz. can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> can, can you Never talk to me again. Hey, hey, hey Baron a Baron guys uh, talk- Sure, sure, the
2: story—I think Craig told me the story a while back—how when you guys were roommates, I think that's when you first met uh, Karen, I believe, and and you were sneaking her into the or sneaking her out of the apartment. Well, yeah, in, in and that was it. Was that what it was?
0: Yeah, because I, I remember phoning Paul and talking to him when you know, and he's in Birmingham. He's living, uh, I believe, you're you shop above the shops in Birmingham somewhere. Not a great area. It was, no, it was mean. It was horrible. And you you said uh, hey do you, do you know who Karen Brady is and I'm like yeah and he goes yeah well she's sneaking up the fire eggs anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so I said oh my god I said this is gonna end two ways you marry or have kids to live happily ever after or you'll never play football ever again yeah exactly. <laughs> and, and even that tell us about
3: this your wife Karen she told you twice she not and she'll she have you at for a profit both times as well. For a <laughs> profit, for a did profit. you get a cut of that, buddy? Yeah, there you go. Did, did I cut? No, I can't get anything. Yeah, listen, it's a unique situation, unique situation. But I remember back the um, the set the first time Barry Fry just you know what was the first time we had just been to the to League One from the Championship to League One. What it was, what it is now. Um, and Barry Fry came in, and he, had, you know, he was, he was crazy. And I didn't fancy playing in, in the, the division below, so Stoke had come in. I spoke to Joe Jordan at Stoke, and they wanted me; they wanted to buy me, so they bought me. But the second time, um, after I'd gone to Stoke, Birmingham got promoted two seasons later, and Barry brought me back. So Barry Fry brought me back. Within two or three months of Barry being in charge, he was sacked, and um, Trevor Francis came in. And I'll you. Karen and I are married now, and um, I'm at home, and Trevor's having his, his meeting with Karen at our house. And he had two young boys, so he comes to the front door. And oh, God, it's a bit awkward because he was going for his job interview. And um, Karen said, you look after his two sons. So I'm looking after his two little boys in the kitchen while they're doing their negotiations. And Karen, obviously, first question she asked, said, listen, obviously, you realize that Paul's at the club. Um, are you going to have this? This is going to be a problem at all oh no no problem at all make him captain so that that's that so after he left i said oh no he, he won't have any problem with you be he gets the job three days into his job he calls me in the office says uh, yeah you need to go So um, i'm bringing mike newell and uh, paul furlong and uh, there won't be any position i was like you bastard you gave him the old. gonna make him captain routine he was desperate to get me out of the club anyway That was it. So I moved on to, I think it was West Brom then. So And that season, I think Mike Newell scored three goals and I
2: scored 20. Barry Fry. He wasn't Barry Fry, though. You showed me the documentary, I think, on YouTube, didn't you? Barry Fry negotiating. Yeah, the one when he was at Peterborough. That's right. Yeah, it's amazing. He was was (laughs) at the
3: Miguel Basu. That's at Birmingham, I think. There was a documentary. Yeah, Martin. yeah, might be. was doing Miguel DeSuzas. Oh, yeah. mate. Oh, he was, was just precious. Yeah, Miguel <laughs> <laughs> You're never going to get out of you got no chance. Well,
0: Barry Fry, didn't he, he, were, he basically ran everything, didn't he? Like, he would be the coach. He would be
3: the signing contracts. He would be the, the agent's guy. You would deal with I think when awards. he was at Barney. Yeah, when he was at Barney. Was it Barney? So then, yeah, he was doing the law. I'm still friends with Barry. He's hilarious. What a character. What a character. If you see the documentary, some of his halftime chats where he oh. goes and nuts. Throws <laughs> it's 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 um England, Mike Bassett, England manager stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so, they, like,
1: he's, the original, he's the original Wheeler, and we speak about Harry being like the the character. But back in those days, Barry Pry, all those guys, they were they were like legends of the game. But not only because of their characters, but because of their like, training methods, the way they dealt with players, They're, they took shit, half time talks, just like you never get away with that kind of shit nowadays in, in, in football. I think that's what gave us a lot of experience back then as younger players and playing for coaches like that. You know? That and, uh, was funny. Hey, it was- hey, all,
3: we did a preseason once. Let me just tell you about we did a preseason with Barry once. And um, obviously, he was a wheeler and dealer, come from Southampton. He's a real cockney character. And at the time at Birmingham, I think there was myself, Paul Tate, and um, there was only three or four actual guys who lived in Birmingham in the team. And he was pre at Dunstable Downs now down in London. We're like, hang on, a minute. Yeah. it's yeah. Birmingham City. So yeah. the three three of us used to have to get on a course, travel an hour and a half, two hours down to London for preseason. We went up to this Dunstable Downs, which is this big, huge mountain, and he'd have a deck at the top, and he would have a megaphone and he would just start screaming, I just swear on car. It was like a scene at a zoo. It was, it was like, there was a trialist. We had like 40 trialists that just turned up. Big fat guys. Like, Who the <laughs> hell are all these people? And whoever got up to the top, got an extra day, and you're thinking, this is ridiculous. Some of his methods were just mad. But uh, but those kind of characters aren't in the game anymore. But he was entertaining. Hey,
0: Pesci, I mean, you're managing a lot of ma- managers right now. What are the challenges that you find or what not you talk about as a manager in modern-day football compared to the guys like Barry Fry? Um,
3: well, nowadays, nowadays, there is a huge amount of importance on management, but it's different management. You know, in our day, I think maybe because of the players we were, we had a little bit more about us in terms of we could take criticism and we had that I'll show you mentality. So if they berated and called you names, I would show, you know, you came up with that, I'll show you, where that approach is gone. You know, they, they've got to be very diff- different in the way they treat players. Um, arm around, more of the, more often not than all players may even arm around them. But it's it's recruitment. You know, recruitment is the biggest, biggest issue because trying to find these players, not only do they have to be, they have to be hungry, they have to have some inner strength as well because, you know, everybody wants to be professional football. Everybody wants to be the best. If you haven't got that real hunger and that drive and that determination, it's 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 doggy top dog world. Uh, uh, football is, you know, it's difficult. And uh, whether you're the bottom fighting, where you're still fighting to get higher, or you're the top trying to, win, you need to have that little bit of something different about you. And uh, trying to find that is difficult.
0: What is the most important thing for a manager, do you think? I mean, we know about the coaching side of it, the technical, tactical side of it, but Recruiting, like for a guy, a guy like I Sean Dice right at, Bur- at Burnley, he has to be. He can't make many mistakes. Like some of the yes. big clubs, they can afford. Hundred and, percent, and
3: Sean, and Sean is one of ours, one that we look after, and he's meticulous. And it's it's doing the research. But if you look at Burnley, they are not in the same competition as the top teams, and looking at being in a different type of player. You know, it's it, you know they're looking at more of a. Um, mentally strong you know you need to have something a little bit more fire in your belly maybe technique is looked at as much with athleticism um um drive and making sure they're the right characters to in with the group he has a small group but they're all in it together and then he has to make sure that when they come in the group that they um add something as opposed to take something away so he does his research he speaks to former managers speaks to former players i think he speaks to former girlfriends boyfriends whatever he can do he really gets inside the mind to find these players because he doesn't have finances where he can get a £5 million player wrong. He's got to get it right. Mm-hmm. And So that's why he gets it right more often than not.
0: It's a, it's a you think of Burnley, I think they're the smallest club to ever play in the Premier League as far as town size. I believe they're like 60,000, something like that. I mean, it is, like you say, a dog-eat-dog world and a difficult world to survive in. And the, the, the leagues are lower littered with former Premier League teams uh, that yeah. had the moment.
3: He gets fighters, correct? He gets fighters. His, his players would never,
0: never say die. Yeah. I mean, you really have to. I mean, I remember guys coming into Ipswich. You have to have guys that you can lose five games in a row, but when you show up for that sixth game, you're still going to put that in the back of your mind and, and keep driving forward to pick up results. And that's a, that's a different type of character itself. Even some of the top players that are used to winning all the time get put into that type of
2: scenario wow, it's a different world. Absolutely. No, you get the nail on the hat, you have to. Yeah, Especially with the exception of Jose Mourinho, who obviously didn't play at any kind of level. Um, the vast majority of managers have played the game in some capacity. Do you think that is still absolutely key in most cases that, that you've got the experience as a footballer than footballers or do you think that is changing?
3: I think it's changing because of the likes of, of Jose Mourinho, but I think it's a huge bonus to have been a former, and the reason I say that is because as soon as you walk through that door, you're judged by by, by footballers. We're horrible people. As, <laughs> as soon as they walk in, we're looking for weakness. We're looking for excuses. We're looking for issues. If you've played the game before and you've got a decent reputation, so for example, someone like Frank Lamp turns in to Chelsea. He walks in the door. He's got reputation. He's got everything. It's all for him to lose. As opposed to having to go in there and trying to win them. Someone like, like even Arsene Wenger, because I'm friends with David mm-hmm. Dean, he talks about that's a difficult transition to come from looking like a school teacher back then to Arsene was very odd, very, very school teacher scientist looking. To go into that changer with these big characters and win them over, that's already a difficult thing to do. But if you've already played and have that reputation, you've got that. And then if you've got something to back it up, then you're on your way. But if you don't, then we, you know,
0: footballers, like I said, are horrible, and they that, that I think, I think the difference between um, players, it also is, and managers that uh, played the game. Players that have not played the game, some of them, like Jose, get into coaching at a very young age. So if a player is going to play until he's 30, for instance, it's one thing to be coached all that time, but then to trans uh, transfer into coaching yourself and how to explain and is a completely different completely different world
1: I think it's a way guys and look at certain managers that, uh, that have been big within the game like a Graham Tunis a Roy Keane players that have had lovely like top top level careers but when they coach and manage they try to coach and manage in the same way and you either have have the respect of certain players, but you also lose respect of certain prima donna players that just don't buy into it. And I really feel now with with managers, as she said, we can talk about the tactics and all the cognitive stuff, and this, but it's how you manage that player now and how you manage that group. And that is a key thing for me. And Jose Mourinho even admitted to himself, he's massive on tactics and whatever, his low block, whatever it is, but... Man managing every member of that group and we're not just talking about one to eleven, we're talking about the key players which are twelve to twenty as well. It's very, very tough. And these guys are like Sean Dice is magnificent at it. The way he builds that team chemistry, the way he brings people in to buy into his way and the team's way of thinking and being successful. It's like that is a huge, huge thing in football nowadays uh, you can have all the ideas, you can have all the tactics, you can have all the, the resources you have, but if you don't understand how to manage the player, his mindset, and the group as a well, whole, see where the different pieces fit in, then you're on a totally lost course straight away.
2: But, but how, how frequently must a manager change his style as well? Sean Dykes right now is, is perfect Burnley, yeah, but a lot of people think, well, you know, at some point he'll outgrow Burnley, but will he be as effective at, say, Everton, for example, as he would be at Burnley, must he adapt? Uh, how's the must-he adapt?
3: I think, I think he would be successful. I really do, because Sean is a student of the game as well. You know, you listen to him speak, he sounds like a, you know, sounds like a thug, doesn't he? He's not <laughs> your, you know, even looking at him, he's a rugged guy. So you don't expect that. But he's a really intelligent bloke and he's a student of the game, like I said. And he, he, he wants to improve. And at Burnley, and that's why I say he has to buy people that... He needs to bring in players that are going to suit that style of football, and that style of football gets in a certain get gets in a certain spot, which he knows he can't go any further. So, mm. you, you, that's as far as he can go, And I think he, if they do um, exceed their expectation, then that's great. But if he was to go somewhere like Everton, he he would adapt. He would adapt because then he's looking at a different type there. He he could still use some of the the, the uh, type of football he, he, he likes to play. But then, when you start dealing with better players, you become a better team. So he would adapt. He would adapt. He would most certainly adapt. But he would- well, you,
0: Keshe, with English managers, um, a lot of them end up at clubs like Burnley and have to play a certain way um, just to, to suit their strengths. Why is it that people will not think that these managers can adapt at a different club with bigger? There's better players, more technical players. It's not players. fashionable,
3: Craig. It's not fashionable. And that's, that's, that's the long and short of it. It's not fashionable. Again, Chrissy Hewden one of ours. And what Chris has done over his career, he's, he's been fabulous. He's gone to Norwich, got promoted Birmingham, got them in, promoted, and then got them into the, the Europa League. Mm-hmm. And Newcastle, he got them. He, he's done an amazing job, even at Brighton. You know, Brighton are in trouble this year, and, and they got rid of him prematurely. But, again, he was, he was he, he could only do what he could do with the players at his, his disposal, what he could afford. But someone like him, how could he not be in, in a job? And when you look at the top six, they're not looking for an Englishman. They're looking for a European. It's just, it's just, it's trendier. Having mm-hmm. someone who speaks with a bit of an accent and someone like mm-hmm. a, you know, when they speak, it's been broken English. Unfortunately, it had appeals to these chairmen. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one. But want. But it, it, it's a shame because. Who knows what these guys could achieve if they were in these these teams? Now, okay, you know, David Moyes has gone to West Ham. and I love David. I think he's brilliant. Um, but he had a rough time in Manu, So maybe that's put people off, too. You know, he's done a good job at Everton. He's gone to a big club, and it didn't work. But I'll be honest with you, it didn't work for Jose either. And honestly, it was not going to work for, for anyone for a good certain time because that Fergie effect was in there. That that was kind of a poison chalice. You would never turn that job down because it's an amazing job. But – it was a total rebuild that needed doing. Whoever went in there was going to find it difficult regardless. the Klopp went in there. So, unfortunately, that maybe may um, hindered British managers as such thinking they can't do it at that level. But I, I'm a firm believer they can. They can. They're not given that opportunity. Someone well, like John, You know, even a team like Everton were not interested. You Everton not be interested. Fair enough, they've gone on Ancelotti, who's got an amazing track record. But a team like Everton, not looking at a Shonda, it's like, what is your next step? It's it's difficult,
0: very difficult. What about? I mean, we're going to talk about in the room. Uh, racism is a big part of what uh, the conversation is around. Chris Houghton is one of the only black coaches um, in the in the league system. There is very few, and we talk about the diversity we see on the football field, which is really. Yeah. Um, but once these players retire, they want to move, black players and minorities want to move into coaching, it's staggering the percentages in it and the lack of opportunities for black players. So we, we're the good enough play, but they're not good enough to manage in the Premier League. They're not good enough in board rooms. They're not good enough to be in FAs and in top positions in football. That is a problem for me. It's a problem of racism. Maybe, and I've said it before, I don't think it's that clubs are openly racist. But the system is. The system is letting them down because guys like Chris Hutton are few and far between.
3: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And I was listening to, I think it was John Barnes today on the, on the radio, talking about it. Um, today, there was a piece in the Daily Mail about Michael Johnson, who's a pal of mine that I played with at Derby in Birmingham. And Michael Johnson, in order to get a job, had to go manage the national team of Guyana. They did a great job. at Guyana got them into the Gold Cup for the first time in their in their history. Um, and he and he's got he is the most qualified manager we have in this country in terms of every badge going. He's got business business degree. He's got a master. He's got every degree going, and he can't even get an interview. Um, so he, he he's he's decided that that's not for him the, the management side. And fortunately, he's got himself a job with the under twenty one. Um, with Gareth Southgate in the uh, in the England setup, but why can't he get a job? You know, whether it, he says he tried everything, and I was helping him as well, trying to, you know League Two, League One, can't even get, wouldn't even get a response when he when he'd send his CV in. Yeah, there is a fundamental problem there, serious, serious fundamental problem. You know, that's something the LMA are trying to, the League Managers Association are trying to to, um, to to improve and educate, and I think the PFA has a lot has their work to cut out to. To um, to change the perception as well. And uh, a lot of these clubs, too, you know, clubs who are employed. big. You know.
0: I think Michael actually got that job through Jason Roberts, who's another one who had to get a job with uh, CONCACAF.
3: Yes, that's right. Um, yeah, Jason. And he,
0: he helped uh, get the job in Guyana. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's interesting that they. When you their- look
3: at his qualifications, like I said, he is the, they, it was in the paper, so he's the most qualified manager in this country in terms mm-hmm. of yeah, let's be fair. If he was white, he would have got his chance.
1: Well, you yeah, would at least
3: sure. expect to get a callback interview. Like I said, you put in CVs and they wouldn't say thanks, but no thanks, nothing.
2: It is it, the only yeah. solution in the, the Rooney Rule, right, in, in the NFL, where you have to, you know, interview a certain number of uh, minorities for any any position? I believe um, must that. But it's be- a shame.
3: If you speak to some of these black black men; they say it's a shame that it almost puts a farce in it that they're being chosen because they have to. Yep. They don't want to be because they have to. They want to be because they're qualified enough and they should. You know, it's, 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 it's yeah.
0: unfair. But where do we start, you to make better? Like, how does the system... Yeah, no, I think
3: possible? that's, no, I think what James said, that's, that's a good start. It's a good start.
1: It's um, a having, good start. You know, okay. Guys, a good start, is, and it's been far too late in my opinion, is what the FA have done. And I know Michael as well, who's, who's got the under-21 assistant job now. At every level, at every age group now, they've tried to bring in uh, a coach or an assistant. Yeah, it's from the background. And even at the younger age, there's the former players that are now helping out as an assistant or, or even a coach. And I feel this is going to transcend into the clubs in the league. It has to, because you think about the diversity of, of the football league, the 92 clubs we have in England, and the amount of black players or or Asian players, whatever it's that we have in these teams now, to only be coached or be trained by a white person, and I'm not calling it racism as a bigger picture, but I'm saying the respect side of especially younger players, younger black players, now being a staff member, someone they can relate to, someone they can lean on, not only for football reasons, but off the field or on the field situations that have happened, but now they can leave someone that they feel comfortable with is only going to help the game in general. So I'm, I'm really pleased. I was back at St George's last year doing my A license that the FA have now brought that in, but it's not too late in my opinion, far too late. But at least they're doing something. It's a small step that's hopefully going to move us in a bigger direction moving forwards, and hopefully, hopefully, it's going to our younger black players feel more comfortable and want to represent England and want to represent the clubs in a better way.
2: Well, I mean, like we've seen in, in recent uh, years on uh, the field and within the stands, the, the issues, this is a, 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 a start of thing, right? And football is the microcosm of society. And until society gets us asked in, in order, why should we expect any different from football, from sports, unfortunately, right? And that's uh, kind of where we're at right now, I think. But perhaps, uh, you know, like you said, the conversation is changing. We're seeing that currently, you know, around the world. And maybe that will, uh, you know, translate to sports as well. It just Couldn't drives me it. crazy that the people that don't quite understand or, or
0: what's going on with these protests, uh, it, it, uh, it points me in a way that they'll concentrate on the bad actors. But if they really think deeply about what is going on and just the issues that we talk about in football, there are much bigger issues in racism outside of football. And to try to deal with that, to solve that problem, is a, is a difficult task for, for anybody but needs to be done
2: um,
0: moving forward.
2: Well, let's uh, lighten the, uh, the topic somewhat now, shall we? Um, actually, um, is to negotiate a deal for a manager or a footballer? Um, definitely a
3: manager. Managers are a lot more easygoing
2: with it. Um, <laughs> are they more involved? You was sorry? Are they more involved themselves in negotiations? Yes, yeah,
3: they're more involved in, in negotiations. And usually, when they, they get a job, they're desperate to work. And um, they want the opportunity. It's a matter of once they get in there, it's given the. It's not our job, is not only just to get them in there and organize contracts and what have you, but we help them in the aspect where they need mentoring, if they need help with um, uh, scouting that we do. Um, all sorts of different ranges. You know, we, you know, we want, we don't we put a manager in a job. We don't just leave them like you do with a football and say, get on with it. We want to help them make sure they, they have everything in the power to be successful. So it's, it, it, it's a whole, we have a whole team that work around them, help them with um, players, negotiation with players, finding players, scouting players, speaking to, um, if they're in a lower, lower division team, speak to our within the higher levels of play you can get cheap for them to, to help their team out so there's a whole bunch of different aspects to do and it's, it's a lot more fun it's a lot more engaged with it but uh, yeah more fun than to deal with
2: what a weird world that it must be I mean you're in that negotiation room right and you're breaking down a deal for your client knowing full well that you might be back there six months later <laughs> after he's being fired right I mean that's the one job that you know at some point it's
3: not going to end well Absolutely. So I know exactly. Like, and it's humiliating. It's horrible. I don't care what you what you say. Um, it's not a nice feeling. And the shelf life now for managers, well, prior to this was 11 months. That's the average span of a manager. So it's not. uh, Yeah, it's not a learned long term thing, which is a shame because if you're a manager and you want to, um, you want to create something. You, you, you don't necessarily have the time to do that, so it's the present. You know, you get in there and you've got to win games from from day one. So you're not looking at developing your academy, developing players that are going to come through, or or um, uh, having an identity. You can't because you've got to go in there and you've got to just start. So it's it's tough. It's a really really tough. It's not as easy as anyone makes it out. No, it
0: wouldn't be because if you're if you're a really truly uh, say you know you got of six years. Not going to go anywhere. It would be so much different for a manager, wouldn't it? I mean, you're trying to build everything from the ground up, but you don't have that time. Like you say, you've got to get results yesterday, and you're probably five losses away at any time of being
3: stacked. Yeah, and that's why I have a problem with it, Say an identity. It's impossible to get a manager to have an identity because he doesn't have time to have his own identity. He's got to come yeah. and win. So that's why becoming a manager. That's why, like, like Danny said. You're a psychologist. You've got to get into their heads right away and, and learn what makes them tick because you've got to hit the ground running. You got to get in there. You're a salesman. You want these players to believe in what you're talking about so they go out there and perform and you win games from day one.
2: Yeah, I can only imagine. I mean, I know generally speaking, at the upper levels, you guys are paid pretty well, right? The further down you go, these guys aren't paid particularly well, and it's short term. I mean, how, how difficult is that? I mean, obviously, every man knows what he's getting into, but it has to be awfully frustrating for you as a, as a representative saying, man, give my client something because, you know, in a year from now, you could be out of work.
3: Yeah. At the same time, though, when you're managing, because I, I manage Bernalby in League 2 for reasons, and as you go down, you're dealing with different types of players as well. You know, you're dealing with players that, um, that are desperate to improve and trying to get to the higher echelons of football. And... They're easier to deal with. I think it's a hell of a lot more difficult to hire you up dealing with prima donnas and players mm-hmm. who think they're great or players who are on 50 a week and are playing like a 2 grand a week player or a 500-pound-a-week player. Those are the difficult ones. But when I – or even at Burton, you know, we had kids on, on buttons, really, but they would do anything for you because they knew that, you know, if this manager becomes successful – he might bring me along with him, or he might mm-hmm. um, speak to one of his pals who manages a bigger club and say I'm a good player. So a lot of different players in the lower levels. So they, they're all they might not have the talent, they might not be as gifted, but a lot of them have you know really good uh, attitudes and really want to improve. they easy to deal with. Didn't you try to buy a Jamie Vardy? Yeah, I tell you, about that was so. That was <laughs> Jamie Vardy. I've watched him. He was at Stocksbridge Steels. He was playing non-league at Stocksbridge Steel's. He'd been released from Sheffield Wednesday. I went to watch. He went up to Hartlepool, and he was playing in the conference at Hartlepool. And I went to watch him a couple of times. And he looked like a player. He'd scored every time I went to see him play. It was really quick. Um, and the, the only issue I had is he was tagged. He was electronic tagged. He'd done something wrong. He was living, he was living in the basement of parents' house. He was tagged. And Burton Albion is a family-run club Ben Robinson, who was the chairman, it was his club. Money man. He, you know, he started the club from nothing. So I mean, it was family run. His daughter was the, the chair. She was the chairman. His son ran another part of the club. So it was so important that you know that the, the club was respected that way. It was family club. So I was petrified. I was like, "What do I do? How do I how do I sell this to the chairman?" I just said, you know. He is tagged and he said, like, oh, we don't really we don't really want that type of player at our club. And I said, he is very, very good and he's apologetic. And you know, it comes off in three months' time. He said, well, what do they want for him? And I negotiated, I actually spoke to the kid. <clears throat> I spoke to Jamie at his con. He didn't want much. We could afford what he wanted. Spoke to um, to Hardy and, and Halifax, sorry, Halifax. And Halifax wanted, I think. Ten or 15,000 pounds. That would have been my record sign. I had not spent money. I wow. was <laughs> like, oh, no, what do I do here? What do I do? what do I do? So I speak to his agent, John John Morris. It was. And I think he was 24. He was a late bloomer. He was 24. And I said, I said to John, John, you know, 10, 15 grand. That's a bit much. Can you knock it guy? He said, catch This kid's going to play for England. I was like, John, <laughs> give me a favor. I said, freaking, he said, he said, five. He's 24. Give me a favor. he got nothing. <laughs> He's good. Yeah, he That bloody good. <laughs> he ended up going to Fleetwood for, I think, 50 grand. And so I missed out on him. But he turned out and played for us. Oh, my God. He rang me. I just say, hey, by the way, told you. <laughs> That's I think
0: Leicester ended up paying a million for him, or didn't he? And he was the first million pound player out of the non-league, I think.
2: Was Fleetwood. he? Yeah. Fleetwood. Yeah. Right. What a story, though. What a yeah. story he was.
3: So I missed out on Jamie Vardy. He could have he kept me the job. There's always that player, right? There's
2: always that player. Everybody has that player that that That's they it. could have gotten, could have changed everything, right? That's it.
3: it Sacked two months later. Yeah.
0: Players, <laughs> you know what? Every time you send the players out there on the field, you got the, they're they're responsible for your future. And, and, oh, yeah. and as a coach, you you send them out, and you know it's out of your hands at that point. You've done all your work prior to you just hope
2: that they could Absolutely. keep you uh, in your job. I got.
0: Hey, it hey,
3: was a lot of fun.
2: He beats. Teach- A kid from the academy, and he's like, you know, 15 years old. Are you thinking, oh man, he better not pan out?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Every time, every you have to remember as well, we're we're in discussions with either the second team and the first team. There's a a broader discussion going on, it's just not my decision. Where I think when you're at the pro level, it's the head coach and the president, the manager that are deciding, but players, it's one of the toughest uh, things to to release a player Um, because you're basically you're killing their dream at least in England, you still have 91 other clubs that you can possibly go and and try and chase your dream still, where here here we have three clubs, Uh, Ottawa we can include in that as well, and CPL coming in, but it's tough on them it's tough on them, but um, sometimes we're releasing them for a reason that they're not good enough, the other times we're releasing them reason that they're going to get into the first team so we want to give them the opportunity to try and go elsewhere while they are still young mm-hmm. do a good job of that I mean the only player I would say that we've kind of released not released but let go and, and moved on to, to bigger and better things is Mark Anthony K but as a club we decided or the first team decided that he wasn't going to get into our first team at the time and, and fair play to the kid he had to go a different pathway and USL uh, to Louisville and then on to uh, Orlando and on to uh, L.A. where he's done very, very well. I mean, you've got to give a lot of credit to the kids. That shows a lot of resilience and times that we need to face a little bit of adversity before moving on. And that's that's what we want to see in a lot of our younger players.
2: I guess late bloomers must be every coach in there, right?
1: Some of the top, top players. I mean, you look at like Ian Wright, Les Ferdinand, guys like that, that. We're very late. Joe Bardi was speaking about He Got released by Sheffield Wednesday. He he, uh, didn't take it to heart. He went to play for his local team in Yorkshire somewhere. Ended up at Halifax, and he just went through a different pathway. sometimes it's not always going to be linear. Where we think, okay, he's gone from academy to the reserves, done really well in first team. Sometimes you have to pop around to different spots and find your way.
3: I think you'll see more of that. Because I think academies, it's some sometimes here in England, the academies can breed a, a different type of player, and and sometimes going that route makes you a little bit harder. Makes you know, makes you a little rough around the edges because you got to fight and you got to scrap, and you know, playing in some of these non-league, it, it, you need to grow up pretty quick because they'll kick seven bells at
2: you. So it's, yeah,
3: um, you know, it, it, we might be seeing a bit more of that.
2: Yeah, it's a really good point because in so many cases now, kids are you know. Making the they're first money team money. so early, right? And and they're getting, you know, they're driving around, and They're twenty years of age, and what have they actually earned at this point? How do you control that ego? I mean, it's going to be awful. Yeah, it's tough. Well, you've got kids, you know, kids
3: at Chelsea Academy. They're in 23 twenty, thirty grand a week, not kicked a ball yet. You know, it's
2: it's tough. <laughs> it's well, I'm a late bloomer. I'm still hoping that my career can take off on, on the field. But so there, aren't, there aren't too many forty six year old professional players, <laughs> so. <laughs> well listen, yeah, uh, uh, arms, I really I mean, might did. be, yeah. Yeah. The dream ended uh, when about twelve. I, I realised that. Actually I'm pretty crap. It's just not gonna work out. Anyway, listen fellas, um time has flown by. Peche, we could talk to you for a long time. Let's get you back on real soon. Please. Hopefully we will have some games to uh to, to talk about. Uh, June seventeenth I think is the the kick of the Premier League as as we know right now, but Thanks so much, um, pleasure. Enjoy. I might be able to go to
3: the West Games, which would be nice. It'd probably be yeah. just me and Karen,
2: but it might be able to actually go. Well, listen, we're, we're going to bring this podcast on the road one day. We are, and we'll be uh, definitely using your contacts to help us accomplish that, uh, especially with Lady okay, Baroness Baroness Karen. Uh, thanks, mate. Really enjoyed this. With we'll pleasure. Anytime,
3: guys. Nice talking. Thanks, thanks
2: Pesh. Thanks, See Ali. You guys. Appreciate stay it, buddy. Stay safe. Paul prescott Salido. If you look at Pesh's uh, his, his career records, man, he scored a shitload of goals at, at a few clubs, didn't he? You must have known it from day one, eh, Craig? What well, you your hands I, played against, uh, I get it,
0: played against them on a few occasions, and he, you know, my old roomie, like, he didn't give me a second's rest. He <laughs> shit on the ball, and he closed me down as quickly as he could, and he was a little pest. But yeah, I tell you what, Pesci, you got a lot of goals when you think about it, just out of working hard, you know, and the, 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 the
3: footballing gods always- to, That's you know, it. Give you something back. My, my, my old man used to say, Listen, you might have an absolute stink, but just run around. People appreciate you running around. There's so many times, like you said, just chasing a ball back, and it, it was kicked and hit me in the back of the head and went in the back of the net. I scored, I think, four or five goals, <laughs> where it's literally just hit me and gone in. And against Nottingham Forest, when I was at Derby, I chased it back and it hit a coffee cup. If you watch it, it's on what happened next. It's lit it was a windy day and it sits up on a coffee cup and Barry Well, the goalkeeper takes the coffee cup and the ball just loops up and lands at my foot and open that side and that was Darby. <laughs> Darby, Darby, Darby. So, That's amazing. Yeah. Just chase it back. Just run around. That's all you got to do.
0: Hey, Peggy, i got to ask you about Stephen Bywater. He was a oh. goalkeeper of mine at West Ham. Young kid coming up. You ended up playing with him at Derby County. What a character that guy is.
3: He was my roommate. All the keepers, all the wrong end goalkeepers I got, roommates. He's mental. He's happy mental. I did a podcast with him last week because we were in the same Darby team and got promoted to the Premier League. I'm telling stories about him. Oh, he, was, he was precious to me. He's crazy, absolutely crazy. Read his, you read his profiles, other things he got up to. But uh, what yeah. I, re- I remember we were we were driving, <laughs> we were
0: driving back on the bus and we were playing cards or something. And uh, there was a fly, flying in front of the bus, kind of in front of <laughs> his nose. And he's like, "Oh, that poor thing." And I'm like, "What do you mean?" <laughs> and he goes, "Well, we're traveling a mile an hour, like just <laughs>
3: I slap his <laughs> 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 oh, yeah. so
0: oh, he was an absolute classic. And then, you know, he's a, he's a bloody good swimmer, right? And I don't know if you know this. And he was talking about it and how fast was. And Neil Ruddick was like, yeah, you're full of shit. Like, I'll swim. In. When we get to the hotel on the Friday at a weigh game, we're, we're going to have a race. We're going to go to the swimming pool and we're going to have a race because there's no way you're that fast. So Ruddick's going to swim them and race them. Well, they do. And I have never seen the outside of, like, Olympic level swim as fast as
3: Steve Martin. He was unbelievably fast. he got some serious OCD, ADHD. You got, he's got them all. He's, he's mad. All. He used too. Uh, Billy Davis was well, fat because he had a little bit of a spare tire when he came to West Ham. I don't think he was playing as much when he came to Derby. So he come in every morning, 7 o'clock. And he would sprint around the training. Room. And oh, I mean, sprint. And he'd come back and he'd start yelling at us. He'd be poking his stomach. He'd be, you fat bastard. You fat bastard. And then he'd go for another run. He was like, what are you doing, Bob?" He'd come back drenched. And he'd be talking to his bevy. poking it. I
0: remember when he first showed up at West. He, had an, uh, he, had a, well, he was young, he had an injury, I think. Certainly Ludo had just come. McClosco had come off an injury. And Ludo McClosco. Best long distance runner for a goalkeeper I'd ever seen. Like, he was always at the front of the team, which was so disappointing. Yeah. yeah. Big Ludo. He was a great long distance runner. And he was at the front. You can imagine us, me and Shaka and David James and Bywater, holding up the back of the. Front because we're <laughs> allowed to. Or the goalkeepers. Yeah, you yeah. And here's Ludo, 33, just yes. <gasps> at the front of the line. Anyway, when Steven showed up, they, they said to him, Oh, well, we would go for the physio, go for a run with uh, Ludo. And he's like, Well it should be easy. I'm young and Ludo's an old bastard and I'll be fine here. Ludo lapped him around the training ground. He couldn't keep up. Ludo just flew and he was just coming by he was trying to stay up with him and he couldn't. And he's just
3: like <laughs> 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 You can imagine how frustrated Blackwater was. He first kid Ludo, so we obviously loved Ludo.
0: Love Ludo. Ludo is a ludo is a, his,
3: first, his first son, ludo
0: is that right? Not Craig, eh?
3: Yeah. No. <laughs> Name Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my god.
0: Yeah, he was a he was a character. He was a beauty. You know, it, there was a game. I was aware of the Gold Cup 2000, and uh, Bywater Shaka was injured, so Bywater went in and played against Bradford, and it was a classic at Upton Park, five-four West Ham win. Well. Goals are going in left, right, and center. Dean Saunders is scoring, blah, blah, blah. And when West Ham took the 5-4 lead, Les Seeley, I get back, he's like, Craig, i got to tell you what happened. He goes, fucking Bywater. He's watching the replay <laughs> on the screen to the left. He's standing there watching the replay. <laughs> Meanwhile, Dean Satter sees him, and he pings it from the halfway line. Oh, no. And Everybody just stayed like like, oh, and Bywater's like watching the replay, and he looks up, and even Steve says, "He goes, I had no chance of getting there, but it missed the net." <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like, if that went in, he would have never played football again. He was done. You, well,
3: he didn't learn his, he didn't learn his lesson because he, he was at two, it was the last season and season before when um, Burton were in the championship. He was at Burton. He was a goalkeeper for Burton, and I went up to Derby to do the uh, TV for Darby Burton match. And I'm in the box, which is behind the goal, but high up. And the game's were on. He kept turning around and going, i oh, my like you can't wait!" I'm like, watch the game, mate. And the same thing happened. They were on attack, and he was like trying to talk to me, and I was like, "Turn around, man." <laughs> so, uh, but um, oh yeah,
0: and then another one is it's it shouldn't be funny, but uh, when Les <laughs> when Les passed away, um, he and Shaka and Bywater, a few other goalkeepers, uh Jim Layton was involved. We we carried uh Les's coffin. So Les uh the, the, the guy said don't be afraid of the weight of the coffin. Well, we're carrying it. And Bywater says to me, he goes, <laughs> I thought Les was gonna fucking die. This is <laughs> yeah, what is it? Why is it so heavy? And it, like, it's
2: filled with <laughs> 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 uh, Les, he a great guy too.
0: Uh,
2: All right, listen. I hate to uh, close uh, things off, yeah, boys, yeah. but uh, I will be. Uh, we are going to be running out of disk space and battery time. And, and one right now who's ignoring he my text at the moment for some reason. Uh, it's going to be pretty soon <laughs> tell me
3: please wrap it up.
2: On? What's that? Nothing. You guys,
3: keep
0: you don't talking. show it anyway. We don't
2: know We just tape it and watch it ourselves. Oh, I'll send you the link. I'll <laughs> yeah, send you the Thank link. You. Can you get your message to retweet it? Because uh, she's got a lot of followers, a lot more than we do. So yeah. it would really help us. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. yeah that's Canada's right. number one soccer podcast. There
2: you yeah, have. we'll do that. All right, fellas. Thanks so much. That was a lot of fun. Pleasure, uh, are you still yeah. there? He's gone home. He's just, Ooh, he's gone. So like he just who's gone? Himself. It like still there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's still there. He is. He's still there. We're just, just listening to this. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, let's get let's get Stephen Bywood on at some point. Um, All, right. Yeah. All right. Thanks so much. That was fun. Uh, we're back, same time, same place next week. Our thanks to Amsterdam Brewers and the Dean Blundell show. Um, yeah, Wonga, Jeff Beach, Craig Pesci. Cheers for everything.